1: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Oh, I forgot there was no intro. No intro. What a hot start. Welcome to Canucks
2: Conversation. <laughs> Aaron Bernardo in the chat today and he is not very happy with what he's seen so far. Uh, my name is Dave Wudjelly. I'm joined by Harmon Dial. We're uh, in the new studio at the iconic Sheraton Wall Center. We are playing around with some stuff, as people on the YouTube live show can see. Uh, that was that was the funniest start. I'm a little rattled about that. That's the funniest start. I just hear Grady yelling, "All right, start it up!" And I'm waiting for the intro music to hit. Nothing. I'm just looking
3: at you quads like this is my second show and I figure you've got your stuff together. I thought so too. <laughs> I thought so too. Well, we but, had just
0: talked about how there'd be no show intro,
3: but
2: I didn't, I didn't put that together. That, anyways, whatever. We'll figure it out. Good. We'll figure it out in due time. That is our technical producer, uh, Grady Sass, who, uh, hello. Yeah. You got a lot for us today, Grady. I am, uh, I'm hearing we've got a lot from all of our producers here because Aaron Bordado in the chat here, uh, those oilers. Those Edmonton Oilers falling 6-2 to to the Vancouver Canucks last night. That's the main story. We'll start there. But first, we of course have to say that Canucks Conversation is brought to you by the great folks over at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic. Check them out on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, whatever it is. They've got you covered for all of your trading card needs. Uh, if you don't want to shop online and enjoy that free shipping on any order over $50, you can visit their retail location in Surrey. So be sure to go do that. No hockey cards today. Uh, Zephyr Epic though. Check them out. Okay. Six to two for the Vancouver Canucks last night. A lot of takeaways from the game. Jeff Patterson will join us later in the show. He was obviously breaking it down on rink wide. Harmon, Let's just start with our takeaways from the game because we were sitting together in the press box and I just want to also point out right off the top, I was the only person in the entire press row that saw Warren Fogle kick that puck and I immediately called it and everybody looked at, including you, everybody's looking at me saying, nope, you're wrong. You're crazy. I was right. I was right. It was kicked in. Okay. Other Other takeaways.
3: Right. Besides, Quads is
2: right. <laughs> you mean
3: taking his own victory yes, lap? Exactly. That's the most important takeaway from uh, from the Canucks' massive uh, whooping of the Oilers. Is quads is right. Definitely. No. That's right. Um, look, that was just such a fun shellacking. I think, especially to get the Oilers' hopes up. Right. I think the shots were something like twenty to two or nineteen to two through the first ten minutes or so. Scored the opening goal, Matthias Ekholm, like Jay had sort of predicted on the show yesterday. So you're thinking, this is all Oilers. This is a game that maybe gets them back into it. Edmonton fans are, are ready to get revenge after losing to the Canucks twice. And then it's funny, Kevin Woodley, even as the Canucks were under fire, looked at me and said, Stuart Skinner hasn't faced a shot in forever. If the Canucks just get one counterattack against boy, who knows what could happen to turn this game around. And that's exactly what happened. You want to talk about people being right. Kevin Woodley calling Stuart Skinner basically breaking down and I mean impressive resilience by the Canucks too, right? After Thatcher Demko keeps the minute to push back, which has been a consistent theme. I mean, you even go back to the Canucks' second win against the Oilers, Edmonton came out in that home opener angry. They scored a goal within the first minute at five shots, and you're thinking, oh, boy, the ice is tilted. The Canucks are going to be in for a long one. And they just show this type of backbone and resolve that we haven't seen from this group in years past. And those are the intangible things that people will bring up, PDO and metrics and things like that, and that's true. But there's something intangible about the resolve that this team has that makes this group seem different compared to last year. Like whether it's the way they respond to adversity like that, uh, you look at the Dallas game, how they professionally manage a lead when mm-hmm. normally they shoot themselves in the foot. <clears throat> like these are real, real encouraging, positive signs, many encouraging,
2: positive signs. Rick Talkett said he could have gone up and down the list last night and Grady, we'll get this audio. It's the talk it on Miller audio he decided to highlight JT Miller but he spoke about how everybody in that game was really good and that he could have gone up and down the lineup and seen that he was getting impact players all over the ice here it is uh great we'll get it from uh talk it on JT Miller
4: yeah the pack mentality it's just not one or two guys we need everybody and I think I can go up and down the lineup or somebody did something to contribute you know um you know, and then obviously your your best players, you know, like Demmer, like was all-world tonight. I thought, I mean, JT Miller was a monster tonight. I mean, that's tough to shut down a guy like McDavid, who, you know, who's, who's an incredible player. But I thought Millsy was a monster tonight. And obviously, Hughes, he already had four or five points. You know, he's he walks the blue line it's as good as anybody's ever seen. So you're getting that kind of play from certain guys.
2: Quinn Hughes with four points on the night. Second place now. In the NHL points race, of course, Elias Pettersson, who got one point last night, <laughs> my Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor bet hit, just want to say that. But Pettersson now at the top of the league scoring race, Hughes right behind him, but Thatcher Demko. That's a guy who you're not going to see on the points list, obviously, but continuing what we've seen from him this year, just being, as Talk had said, all world. Thatcher Demko was so good last night, and every player we spoke to post-game, and we're not going to play all of their audio, but every player I spoke to post-game highlighted thatcher demko as yeah he held us in it early on in the game and then once they got their legs under them it was free flying from there because the oilers had to dress one of their goalies in that game like that's what i was saying to everybody as i said you know yeah canucks haven't looked good but demko's looked really good and the oilers have a goaltender they have a goaltender in net like one of the edmonton oilers goaltenders there was only two as of last night they had to dress one of them both of them have been garbage this year they went with Stuart skinner And sure enough, as soon as you get a rush chance against Stuart Skinner, it's going in the back of the net. Like, that's what's happened. And this team, Edmonton, has been so bad at defending the rush and their goaltenders have been awful. Like, that's what I've been hearing from the Oily boys, including Aaron, um, out there about the Edmonton Oilers. It was all true last night. Like, they couldn't defend the rush. I was shocked at how little we saw the forwards coming back and supporting. Like, there was even a few plays where I noticed the most with Leon Dreisaitl, I want to say. Like, a couple bad giveaways, um, just lack, lacking effort at times, and it's so funny because yeah, Evan Bouchard was a, yeah, like Evan Bouchard was bad. And I was, I was talking to uh, Begged Milk over there at Oilers Nation, and he was saying, like, yeah, like everything they've heard about, everything we've heard about Evan Bouchard is basically what Tyler Myers has been at times at his worst as a Canuck. That's what Evan Bouchard has been. For the Edmonton Oilers, obviously not as much offense, but in terms of defense and just being an absolute trip in your own end, that's Evan Bouchard.
3: You know what it reminds me of is watching the dark days of the Canucks, like the worst Canucks hockey we saw at the start of last season under Boudreaux, for example. That's what the Oilers look like, just an organized, disorganized mess. And that's supposed to be a team that's in cup or bust mode. And just to circle it back to JT Miller, because... I I think it's unbelievable what he's done in a shutdown role, right? Because you go up against Edmonton. If you can keep McDavid and dry settle in check, you've won the game right there. Mm -hmm. And three games against the Oilers, JT Miller's gotten the hard match in all three of them against the McDavid line. McDavid's line, right? Not just McDavid, his entire line has not scored a single five-on-five goal head-to-head against JT Miller. And in fact, because of the first game, the 8-1 blowout, Over those three games, Miller's line actually won that matchup 3-0 head-to-head on the scoreboard. That's massive. And you want to look back at even in the third period, there was a moment where, yes, the scoreline was 6-2 in the end, but the Oilers were pushing in the third, obviously had the disallowed goal. And about six, seven minutes in when McDavid lost it on JT Miller, what people forget is that the Oilers were really hemming the Canucks in. That was a really long shift. The others were were still within two They they'd gotten one back there. It would have been a completely different game. And I was looking at Kevin Wood in the press box and and actively going like this shift could be the game right here. And what does Miller do? He has a hard clean check on McDavid, which it's the aggregation of you play a guy three times and he's playing hard on you all game. And it just, you, you you break, right? You break Mm -hmm. at a certain point, McDavid breaks and him, Getting involved in that scrum ends that possession. Obviously, he takes a penalty thereafter. And then the Canucks, guess who it is? Scoring on the ensuing power play. JT Miller. He almost single-handedly put that game away for Vancouver in the end to make sure the Canucks were able to ice it.
2: A lot of takeaways from last night. Uh, mine is that the goaltending battle wasn't so much of a battle as we kind of expected. But, like, are the Oilers a good goalie? Even just replacement-level goalie away from being back to at least a playoff team because that's how I view them right now. They've had trouble defending. Sure. They need some organization in front, but they could not get a save. There was no reason that Pia Suter should have scored that goal on the rush. There was no reason for it. Like as much as we fault the Oilers for being bad at defending the rush, that's a save you have to make if you're a goaltender. And there were a few like that, even the best or goal. The thing I noticed the most about Skinner on that play was He was sliding to his right, but what I'm looking at is saying, why are you going to your right there? I know you think the shot's going wide or going to deflect to the corner. I understand that's what Skinner probably thought, but there was no advantage to moving to your right as a goaltender. And I don't want to get too technical here, but I was just like, this is like watching house Bantam. This is not an NHL goaltender and it drives me nuts because at the start of the year, I picked the Oilers to be... I love um, it. It drives you nuts. I love it. <laughs> I, picked, I picked them to be my, you know, the cup, cup winner. I thought they were going to do it. And it was because I really believed in Stuart Skinner. And I was like, they finally have the goaltender. Stuart Skinner, great rookie year last year. I was talking to Kevin Woodley a little bit more about this. And he pointed out that last year, those numbers for Skinner came in a top five defensive environment. And right now the Oilers are rolling out, as I'm sure you could guess, a bottom five defensive environment so I don't think it's just as simple as a goaltender as a goaltending change I think they're going to need a little bit more than that we'll talk to Jeff Patterson about it more but are you at all surprised that Jack Campbell ends up on waivers today
3: well it's funny you go up against a wagon like the Canucks and sometimes it doesn't matter who you have in that it's just it, it's <laughs> inevitable they're just going to put a six spot on you uh no I mean it, it's funny though isn't it right that the so one big contract player that gets waived is a guy who didn't even play against the Canucks. Yep. Uh, it just goes to show you how um, disastrous the vibes are there in, in Edmonton. I was a little bit surprised. We'll see Calvin, Calvin Picard's been great in the AHL, but he's, he has a really poor NHL track record. Yep. So I'm not sure you're getting an upgrade there. Uh, all I know is it's, it's pretty delightful to watch. From uh, from a Vancouver perspective, to see the Oilers kind of melt down, not only because of what it means for for you know their their cup odds or whatever, but even for the Canucks in this playoff race, the more Pacific Division rivals that just blow a flat tire, like Edmonton, mm-hmm. like Calgary, like Seattle, that even in the Central, a potential sort of like wild card race if the Canucks uh, end up having to be in one, the Minnesota Wild getting off to such a slow start, I mean. Those things help the Canucks' playoff
2: odds. Another thing that helps those odds, I brought him up briefly there, and I think he deserves a little bit more of a shout-out. Suter, three goals in three straight games, and also hit a post late in the third, and before that also had another really close call. we were realistically about to live in a world where Pius Suter had five goals in three games. Like, that, that was almost, that was almost a had reality. Last night. He could have had a hat-trick last night. That was almost a reality last night. Um, but seriously, shout-out to Pia Suter, who, as much as we talk about how much the, the stars are playing well and how they're getting that secondary scoring, at least lately in these past three games, especially just yeah, suitor, providing them with some goals, all at even strength, like that really matters. And as much as we've talked about this team and their roster construction, one area that they haven't been able to fill, I, th- I threw this question to you last night and I'll throw it to you again today. When was the last time the Canucks had a legitimate third line center who was providing them with offense and strong defensive play? Because, You take some time to think about that, because I'll just quickly recount that Jason Dickinson was the most recent failed experiment there, right? Like they really wanted Jason Dickinson to work out as the three C and it wasn't working like it wasn't going to happen. And they traded for him thinking he was going to be this defensive stalwart who can also chip in on offense really and I mean again I attribute a lot of this to the lack of uh strong defensive system in Vancouver, but Dickinson never found his footing in Vancouver on either end of the puck like I, I don't think anybody was looking at Jason Dickinson saying, wow he's a really good defensive center like he couldn't even be Jay Beagle like that's where it was. Jason Dickinson couldn't even be Jay Beagle in Vancouver and look I that that's a fairly low bar, I would say. You didn't have it. And now you have it. It seems like Pia Suter, an actual solution at third line center.
3: I just think that's massive for the Canucks, especially this year. And not just Suter, but his line mates as well. What a pretty feed by Joshua on Mm -hmm. the rush there. He looks to have gotten his confidence back. And we spoke yesterday in the show about he had a fantastic bounce back performance against the stars after being scratched. But the key thing is, can you follow it up with another consistent, effective performance? And he did that Connor Garland too, by the way, Mm -hmm. super noticeable all night. And in the second period, again, you want to talk about these momentum-shifting plays. Leon Drysdale scores to make it 3-2 in the second there. The next shift, Connor Garland is possessing the puck down low. And, I mean, basically all night. It was hilarious seeing Matthias Ekholm, who's like twice his size, trying to knock him off the puck. And he just can't do it. And then he also draws a tripping penalty penalty there doing his offensive maneuvers. And for the rest of the period, the Canucks dominated control Yep. at a moment when the Oilers could have flipped the script on the momentum where they get one goal. And that's, again, you want to talk about the Canucks is like, what's been different this year. It's those moments where they can take a punch, right? They can take a punch and they'll strike back rather than just folding like a cheap tent, like they have in years past. And, That's what's been thoroughly impressive in the bottom six, the energy, the speed that they had, the heavy offensive zone shifts, strong penalties, the couple goals that they uh, provided as well. They've been essential for that. And I was looking it up last night, eight goals from the bottom six over the last four games. I would be interested when the last time that
2: happened was, especially in Vancouver. Like when was the last time we saw that?
3: I I would say it's been a while. Probably like a Brandon <laughs> Sutter yeah, when, when the team's limiter, when the teams like in tank mode and everybody's like oh yes. they're missing the playoffs like let's just tank and then Brandon Sutter just goes off like for a near point per game run over like seven or eight games or something and and the Canucks reel off a bunch of wins that hurt their draft a uh, lottery <laughs> positioning. Probably something like that or remember UC Jokinen? Yes, I do. Yes. It's just all these strange performances. That's when the bottom six usually steps up in uh, in Vancouver. <laughs> Whenever Jim Benning's job was on the line,
2: the bottom six was ready to go to, go to bat for their boy. Uh, another guy, Tyler Myers. That speaking of that crew, Tyler Myers getting some love. We'll pull it up here, Grady. Um, from Rick Tockett post game, just threw this out. I tweeted it. I think everybody rushed to tweet this. This was a great quote from Rick Tockett. We'll talk about it more later. Uh, but let's hear the quote, uh,
5: Grady. And Tyler Myers. I continues to play well. What do you have to say about the way he's playing? I think he's
4: been unreal. Um, You know, uh, the last five games, he's been one of our best players. So, you know, maybe six games. So he's he's dialed in. He's really playing well for us. Proud of him.
2: Proud of him. Also, there's your Chris Faber feature that everybody wants. (laughs) Chris Faber, guest of the show today. Uh, No, we have an actual guest of the show today. And, of course, it is Tuesday, which means it's brought to you by Greta. The home of our electric watch parties, Greta is Canucks Army's spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, and also our place to chill in the off season. Our thanks to Greta for bringing us Jeff Patterson, who joins us now. Jeff Patterson of Rinkwide. We will bring him in in
0: moments. Jeff, do we got you?
5: i know i had an incredible intro there
3: oh. <laughs> oh there you are
5: it's the intro that's never going to be heard i said the sun is shining the canucks are winning you guys are in a new studio dave you got a new partner life's pretty good these days well it was until grady muted your mic
3: <laughs> but i'm also thinking ready.
5: too i look at all the props on the counter there i should be in studio with you guys rather than in the home <laughs> studio i'll you make that happen should
2: yeah, yeah we got some crown here for you um Quickly, if it's to... still around by the time. Yeah, exactly.
5: We were told to go buy a
2: full one, so we will go do that uh, very shortly. I'm sure. But Jeff, let's get right into it. No way. No, no more wasting time uh, on this show today. Uh, your biggest surprise about the
5: Canucks so far? Oh, I mean, I knew that they could score goals. I don't think that I anticipated they were going to score at the rate that they're scoring. And when I and like, there's just so many goofy statistics. And I love my numbers, and I've been pumping out a bunch and uh, all over social. But there was the one tweet from that stats company is an Optus Sports that it was just like mic drop that no team has scored through its first 12 games of the season like the Canucks have since the cup winning Oilers back in their <laughs> heyday. Like, get out of here. <laughs> like, I need that fact check three or four times over because, like, I mean. Okay, the 10 the other night in San Jose was fun, but 8 on opening night, uh, 6 last night, 5 in the 5 nothing win against the, the St. Louis Blues. Power play is just going off. It's converting at an outrageous rate right, right now. You guys are talking about depth scoring. Uh, look, one of the storylines that I followed pretty closely last year was lowest scoring team in the NHL when it came to goals from defensemen. They had 22 all of last year, well, driven by Quinn and his outrageous performance right now. They're tied for the league lead, So they've gone from dead last wow. in the NHL in terms of goals from defensemen to the top of the heap for the time being. And we'll see if they can stay at that rate. I would imagine that Quinn is going to continue to score. Uh, you know, but Philip Ronick hasn't scored yet. Uh, they've got a couple from Myers and a couple from Susie, but uh, there are other guys that can t- contribute there. And look, Quinn Hughes got a huge bounce last night. But talk about a guy that uh, deserved one for the way that he's playing. And that was such a big goal, too. I mean, they were just getting crushed by the Oilers. Oilers opened the scoring. And then for Hughes to bank a shot in off Desharnay. I mean, Quinn's been picking his spots. I don't think that he picked that one. He certainly didn't call bank uh, before he did it. But uh, he got a bounce. They needed a bounce. And you could just kind of feel right then and there uh, that ent- you know the Oilers bench, Oilers Nation for that matter, here we go again. Like, you know, just the bad goal that goes in at an inopportune time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like there's just a ton to like about the Vancouver Canucks. But I would just say that it's the way that they're scoring, the rate at which they're scoring, which certainly exceeds even my wildest expectations for this hockey club.
3: J-Pat Brock Besser had another couple of goals um, the other night. He has six goals against the Oilers, which is <laughs> more goals than any Edmonton player has the entire season so far. Uh, just looking at his game, I mean, even the other game against um, the Stars, I know he didn't score, but just looks so dangerous, uh, very engaged physically even. What has impressed you most about, what like what has impressed you most about his start and, and why do you think he's been able to click so much here uh, in the early early going for the Canucks
5: well Blake has started this running bit on rink wide and that is a, a nightly update of Brock Besser's goals compared to the San Jose Sharks team goals <laughs> and after last night it was 10 for Besser and I think the Sharks are sitting a dozen so I said is this going to be an ongoing thing and he said yeah as long as it's close <laughs> we're gonna keep it up so Uh, just incredible to think that not even a full month into the season because they started on October 11th and Besser's already in the double digits. He's among the league leaders. I I think there's a couple of factors. I mean, that line is playing so well, and JT Miller. You know, he had in the 99 point season a couple years ago. Uh, I think that pales in comparison to how well he is playing right now. And he leads that line, and the other guys are following uh, in his footsteps. And we've seen the shot, obviously, a couple of you know, quick snapshot snipes, including opening night against the Oilers and then the one-timer the other night in San Jose. So he looked confident. But Arm, I I really do think that, and he stated at the outset of the season, you know, this is a guy that lost his father, went through the turmoil of the trade requests and his agent getting involved. And, you know, that had to be a blow to the ego when you got your agent doing your bidding and still no takers, uh, more because of the contract than the player himself. But he said at the start of training camp, I'm at peace. Like, you know, I'm going to continue to grieve my father, but I'm at peace with the fact that we've lost him and he's not coming back, obviously. And since he said that, he's looked that part as well. Like, he just, he looks relaxed. He's looked like, he looks like he's having fun. I mean, it was around this time last year that his ineffectiveness led to that near healthy scratch on the hockey fights cancer night. Like, those were the kinds of distractions that were swirling around him for much of last season. The guy had five goals at Christmas time. He's a 10 and we're barely into the month of November. Like it really is night and day. And I do think so much of it is he's just decided to come to peace with, he knows he can be an effective player. He can still be a scorer in the national hockey league. He may not be a 40 goal scorer, although the way he's going right now, maybe I don't rule it out, but you know, the, the 30 is that number that has just been there and plastered to him for so long. And I know he didn't want to put numbers on it, but guys, like you do some simple hockey math. He's got 10 goals. 12 games into the season he needs to be a 20 goal scorer over the final 72 and 72 is kind of around the number of games that he generally plays in a season with injuries so he's got to stay healthy knock on wood for him there but I mean he has absolutely set himself up to be a 30 goal scorer a 30 plus goal scorer for the first time in his NHL career the way that the Canucks are going and his role in the power play at the outset of the year I wasn't even sure that he as a right shot guy I just didn't know if there was a fit there you had Kuzmenko, who's already a right shot guy. We know how successful Horvat was, in the bumper is a lefty. I didn't know where Brock's role on the power play was going to be, but you know, again, last night, and uh, I think he's up to four power play, or five power play goals. And he and Kreider are tied for the NHL lead in power play goals. So uh, it is just it, it, these are heady times when you go to the NHL stats page, and there is a Canuck leading just about every conceivable category, including Brock Besser. This is uh, it's wild stuff.
2: You heard the clip, Tyler Myers. Getting some love uh, from Rick Tockett last night. Your thoughts on his game and especially that quote from Rick Tockett last night. Are we sure that that wasn't
5: a setup by Favor? Uh, <laughs> like, who was talking about Tyler Myers last night? But I, Rick Tockett seemed pretty happy to, uh, quite frankly. <laughs> and, and, oh, that's amazing. That's a great theory. And he's he's not wrong. Yeah, first day on the job for Favor. Whispering in I hope Make no, sure no, you ask about no, Tyler no, Myers. No, no, no. We're just having fun with that one. But... I will say, like, the coach isn't wrong. Like, Tyler Myers, like everybody else in this team, is just in a groove right now. And I'm telling you two guys right here right now, if you could promise me, like, get it written in stone that Tyler Myers and Carson Soucy would be the third pair for the remainder of the season, that neither one of them would play higher in the lineup, if they could just stay and sort of play at their level as a third pair, I think he'd sign up for that. Like... Look, we, we said that about Carson Susie, A couple of really solid seasons as a third-pair guy in Seattle. Is there more there? Still not sure. But as a third-pairing guy, he absolutely has proven that, you know, he can excel in that role. And they're giant, 6'5 and 6'7 and the reach and the disruptive nature at the blue line and denying entries and those types of things. Like, uh, you know, those two guys are playing within themselves right now. So going out on the road, it's going to be a little different. You can't shelter uh, your third pair. And if that's your third pair – it does expose, and like I'm right at the front of the list with, uh, you know, uh, some love for Ian Cole. Like, I think he's been an absolutely you know, outstanding addition. But Cole and Mark Friedman, and Friedman's been a nice pickup too. But, you know, if that's your second pair, I mean, really what you're doing is you're loading up for the most part with Hughes and Hironik, and then you kind of got two third pairs behind them and the Canucks are getting by with this. Def- I scoffed at the defense by committee, but uh, 12 games in, there's nothing to scoff at, really, especially when you have Thatcher Demko behind them uh, mopping up whatever mistakes are being made.
3: J-Pat, big picture, when you look at the Canucks' start, and there are so many sort of, obviously, positives to, to pull at, what role do you think Rick Tockett has had in all this? Obviously, he's been massive, but if you were to sort of, pit, sort of point to one or two specific areas where you really think that the coach has had an impact in, in getting a lot out of these players, uh, what would you look at?
5: Well, I, I want to extend it past the coach and I'm not trying to skirt your question harm, but I am just blown away right now about organizational buy-in and we saw it on Saturday morning and I, I was struck by this on Saturday. We saw it again, Monday morning at the morning skate talk. It's talked about the fact he's not a huge morning skate guy. And yet everybody's out there right now. Like they all, there's just this buy-in like they all want to be around the rink and forget about the players. It's the fact that they've got eight coaches on the ice. It's Talkett, it's foot, it's yo. Gonchar's in town these days. You got Daniel and Henrik. You have Yogi Sivkoski, the the skills coach that Rick Tockett uh, really seems to value his input into, uh, into the way things are going. And then uh, Ian Clark is the goaltending coach as well. So, uh, kind of looks like a football team right now with the number of coaches. But I I think that maybe hockey was slow on the uptake in that regard in having that many minds. And so I did some math because Pia Suter the other day was asked about it. And he said, it's like every guy's got a thousand games. Well, they've got three guys who have 1,300 NHL games on the coaching staff and two more who've played over 1,100. And Svekowski, I don't even know if people know his background, but he played. He played in Washington for a hand. I think he's 115 games or something like that. Anyways, you total it up, there's 6,000 games of NHL experience out on the ice. Like, and, and you've got the Twins, obviously, Hall of Famers, you know, and, and Talkit's talking about the work that they've done on and off the ice. You got Adam Foote, this hard rock defenseman with Stanley Cup pedigree. You got Talkit, and we know the way that he played the game. Like, they, they seem to have somebody that can answer just about any question that anybody on this team in whatever role they play. And so I think the coaching staff done a terrific job uh, I, I liked the, last night, like the Oilers, the chess match, uh, you know, they tried to double shift McDavid at times in that first period. And, and so they couldn't always have JT Miller out there. So we saw them split Hughes and Hironic really and try to, you know, extend the depth that they've got on their defense. I just think Rick talking, the way he's handled his goaltending uh, again, I mean, the team is ultimately the ones that get the job done, but it's the coaching staff that lays the, the blueprint out there. And we know how much he values wall work and heavy presence and all that kind of stuff uh but this coaching staff really just about every button that they have pushed save for that game in philadelphia and who knows what happened that night uh but otherwise i mean they have looked good just about every night out and so i do think the coaching staff uh deserves a fair bit of credit it, uh, in this start to the season
2: we briefly chatted about him before you hopped on but Niels Hoglander, that's a guy that's been coached by the cityans like we were talking about the video work talk it's brought it up a few times what have you made of his game lately and i'll i'll Pivot that into another question about who's the guy that comes out when Teddy Bluger eventually returns, because I think maybe a month ago we all would have assumed it would be Niels Hoglander. Probably if Bluger's healthy to start the season, it probably is Hoglander. But wh- where does that all stand now for you?
5: Love it. Love to see Niels Hoglander playing the way that he is. Uh, the goals are almost gravy, but he's matched his goal total for you know last year was such a disappointing year for him, just the 25 NHL games he scored three times, but he's at three now. Uh, I loved that sequence last night uh, Lafferty with his speed uh, Hoaglander, the trailer. And like, he just buried that there was no way that he was going to miss his mark there. And you could see the celebration and it was a big goal. Cause you were talking about, you know, the dry saddle goal was moldy, but it counted ultimately. And it gave the others some life and they're back in a one goal game. And then the Canucks able to extend the lead on the Hoaglander goal. So uh, the goal is great, but just that's Niels Hoaglander. That's what he's got to do. It reminds me of uh, rookie Niels Hoaglander in the COVID season where you know, winning just about every battle. I think some guys still look at him and, and maybe take him uh, for granted, like opponents and think, oh, this is going to be a, an easy one-on-one. There's no easy one-on-ones when Niels Hoaglander is, is playing and his motors go the way that it is. And then he can back it up with the, with the offense. So uh, like a lot of what I'm seeing and it, it just, it feels to me like, okay, so Dakota Joshua was made a healthy scratch the other night. I thought he responded with the, a nice game against Dallas had an assist on what turned out to be the winner. He had seven hits. And again, the nice play last night to, to suitor. you know, internal competition is a good thing. And I think these guys recognize and Teddy Bluger was on the ice with the group for the first time at the morning skate on Monday. So they know he's getting close and it does look like that's reflected in the play Like none of them want to be the guy to answer your question. None of them want to be the guy that comes out. I think Stunika goes back to the minors, but somebody will have to come out of this lineup and and you know, I think Bovillier has picked up his play. Garland is interesting to me because you guys were talking about him. And I thought he was terrific last night. But it's just mind-blowing with Connor Garland. And we've seen this in each of the first two years that he's been a Canuck. You know, for a guy that, like, he doesn't kill penalties. He's, you know, he's not overly physical. I mean, he is supposed to be a guy that produces offense. He scored the first goal of the season, guys, in that 8-1 romp against the Oilers and hasn't scored since. Now, his underlying numbers are good. He's not hurting this team at all. But I can't remember a guy who, you know, being paid what he's paid, but also with the offensive profile. And I know he's playing a little lower in the lineup. But a guy that goes these double-digit stretches without a goal. And maybe he's just unlucky and maybe he deserves a bounce for how hard he's working. But we've seen it far too often over two seasons with Garland that he scores and then he'll go 10, 15. I think there was a stretch of 20 last year, uh, for a guy that, you know, shoots the puck from all angles. And sometimes you'd think would catch a goalie off guard. So I'm not concerned about Garland, but the, the goal streak it's just, you know, he opened the scoring on that alley hoop goal from Pedersen on opening night and, and hasn't scored since. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the decisions that coaches love to have, right? Tough decisions, because like, if it was easy, it would tell you that there was an obvious choice and that, uh, the coaches were just pointed that guy and he'd come out of the lineup, but it feels like they're all sort of sensing the return of Teddy Bluger and everybody's up in their game. And so, uh, top, you know, top of the lineup, the stars are going, uh, the goaltenders are going. We talked about the defense and that bottom six right now, uh, seems to have hit its stride as well. So they're a well-oiled machine the way that they're playing. And it is going to be a difficult decision for the coaching staff. So, you know, we'll see if they stay healthy. That could, uh, impact and, and change the conversation, I suppose. But, uh, Yeah, I would think that Bluger is probably a week away. I don't know if we're going to see him on this road trip. Talked about how he needed a couple legitimate practices, and yesterday was a morning skate. So uh, three and four out on the road. I don't know how much practice time they're ultimately going to have there. Uh, But, you know, certainly by the end of this month, then I would say sooner than that we're going to see Teddy Bluger, so we'll get the answer.
2: Jeff, great stuff as always, my friend. Thank you for taking the time today.
5: All right, boys. It's always fun. Thanks. Jeff Patterson. uh,
2: Again, brought to you by Greta
1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Some really interesting points there. Uh, we started talking about Niels Hoglander. We started talking about Tyler Myers right before we got to JPAT. Let's start on Tyler Myers. Let's start on the big man. Let's start with Tyler Myers because I think he's been exceptional the past few games. And he was legitimately unplayable before that. And I think these steps, I'm really interested to see. I think I said this on yesterday's show. I'm really interested to see how much of this came down to coaching. Like, is he just getting pointers about what he should be doing differently? Because he looks like a different
3: player than the one we saw at the start of the year. I'd be surprised if it's, you know, a lot of it being pointers because he's a 33-year-old defenseman, right? He's had a lot of coaches and Sure, I'm, I I know that Adam Foote's experience must be useful, and I'm sure there might be little things, but I, I ultimately think it's the environment just plays such a massive role. I mean, so many times you see a defenseman that struggles on a bad team. You put him on a, on a much better team. Jalen Chatfield. And looks complete perfect example, right? Like Jalen Chatfield looked like nothing here. He goes to Carolina, and Canes fans love the guy to death. Like they don't ever want him out of the lineup and it's just system teammates you have. And I think it's not a coincidence that Myers's game has turned around at the same time that the team's overall game has really stabilized and given more consistent support because yeah, Myers has been great on the PK the way he's been standing up at the uh, defensive blue line, killing plays, angling guys getting clears, but also at five on five, it's been six games and I, and I don't want to jinx this knock on wood, but six games since, since he's been on the ice for a five-on-five five goal against, that's that's massive. And, and the Canucks are still – there's been a lot of talk about he's playing really reduced minutes, and yes, the minutes are down from last year, I think around 17-and-a-half-minute mark. But at the end of the day, even though Mark Friedman takes rushes on the second pair, Myers is still – Pretty commonly creeping up towards, especially lately, the 18, 19 minute mark. He was, he played 21 minutes against the Oilers last night. So it's not as if he's playing this like really sheltered 14, 15 minutes. Um, he had that for, you know, two or three games, uh, especially when he was struggling the most. But he's still a player that is going to be leaned on in an important capacity. And it's um, massive that not only he's found traction, but also Mark Friedman, one upgrade he's been on uh, Noah Juleson there.
2: Noah Juleson and even in turn, Tyler Myers, like that was the answer was when Noah Juleson was playing third pairing, Tyler Myers was playing top four minutes. The fact that Friedman's been able to play in the top four has been huge for this team. And you go back to what J-Pat was saying about if Carson Soucy and Tyler Myers can be the third pair that we'd all take that. I think another reason you take that is because it also suggests that Mark Friedman has been able to stay in a top four role with Ian Cole, which I don't think anybody really thought was going to happen when they originally traded for him, which, look, it's like found money, right? Uh, Let's get to the poll question for today. Our poll question is, as always, brought to you by the great folks over at Atlas Goods. Visit atlasgds.com and use promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order of pop rinds. These are the best fresh pork rinds straight from your microwave or air fryer. Our poll question today, simple one. Will the Vancouver Canucks make the playoffs this season? I've got the updated results right here. Harmon, a whopping ninety-five percent of voters say yes, the Vancouver Canucks will make the playoffs. The nine one nine, two and one Vancouver Canucks will make the playoffs. Three percent say no. Is it the lowest I'm angry? What's the lowest? Absolutely it is.
0: I think this is I think this is the lowest I've ever seen. Lowest I'm
2: angry right now. It says it's at two percent.
0: So is it time to scrap I'm angry and put I'm happy? Might
2: be. That's a great point, Katie. That's a great point because we always had I'm angry because there was always something to be angry about. And people requested like that was a request from the listeners was never not include I'm angry in polls. Like always have that as an option because I might be angry. Wow, Grady's
3: a genius. I think yeah. we do need to
2: change this. Yeah. Anyways, our poll. Uh <laughs> will the Canucks make the playoffs the season. Like I said, 95% say yes. Grady, can we pull up this quote, uh, this tweet from Thomas Drance? It was a really good, um, really good point by Drance, and he kind of broke down the math on it roughly, but Basically, the gist of what he said was that the Canucks have put themselves in a position now where And I was having this conversation with Rob Williams last night, and he didn't like that. I basically said the Canucks are a lock for the playoffs. They're a wagon. They're going to the playoffs, as the title suggests. Um, they've put themselves in a position now where it would take uh, like, you know, everybody's talking about regression. Regression's coming. Of course, they, they aren't going to play at this pace. They're not going to go. Uh, what, what would it be like 72 and f- seven or, or six, whatever it is. Um, they're not going to keep this up. They're not going to keep this up. Are they still going to win games and be good enough to make the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. I think if you try to answer this question and you answer it with, well, regression's coming. I agree with you. There is regression coming. It's not going to stay at this level, but let's just try to break down what regression for this team will actually look like because I think it'll look a lot like what we saw last night. Where they're under siege in the start of the game, where their structure fails them, where the guys take a little bit to get their legs under them. Do we really think that the power play, the penalty kill, the five and five play, and the goaltending are all going to regress at the exact same time? I would say no. And I think if the goaltending, which I think is the most sustainable part of this team, if that holds up, not only are they a playoff team, but if you have a hot goaltender going to the playoffs, you can do some damage there. I don't even think it's a question of, will they make the playoffs? I think it's, where will they slot in for the playoffs? Wow. Do you think they're going to fall off that hard? I really don't think
3: that's going to happen this year. I'm buying the playoff stock. Yeah, likewise. It's, they've built themselves such a cushion here, and it's it's what you mentioned in terms of what point are you regressing from. The only comp that they have for the start they've had to the season, you No, know, when you look at their goal differentials, the mid-80s Gretzky dynasty Oilers. Like... Yeah, big hot take. They're they're not going to be the mid-80s Oilers (laughs) that won the Stanley Cup. Like, okay. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely buying it. And one thing I appreciate about this Canucks group, because so much of a team success is also the mental side of the game. It's the culture. Um, There's so many ebbs and flows in a season. One thing that struck me right from the first game where they blew Edmonton out 8-1 is that and talk reference has referenced this a lot. They they haven't gone too high. Honestly, like I remember that first game, and I expected, you know, you walk into the locker room and and players to, to really be you can just sense the joy and and guys feeling on top of the world and that sort of thing, especially because of all the talk about oh, will they get off to a good start? And you just romp a team that is in copper bust mode. But no, I you know, whether it was Miller or Quinn going up to the podium to speak they first of all get, made sure to give edmonton no bulletin board material material mm-hmm. knowing that they were going to play play them again on saturday and second they continuously referenced how hard saturday's game was going to be because of how badly they would embarrassed edmonton and they didn't say they embarrassed edmonton of course but, they like, alluded to it and we all knew it. To it and 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 that's why then in the second game of this game of the season on saturday when they went into edmonton and oilers were all on top of them they got the energy and buzz of their home opener, Evander Kane had crushed Philip Peronick on the forecheck. They score five shots, like 40 seconds into the game. You're ready for that. You're ready to take that punch. And they were able yeah. to sort of find their game after that and pull out a gutsy win with the help, obviously, of outstanding goaltending from Casey DeSmith in that one. And again, in the locker room last na- in last night's game, you just get the sense that the team knows the job isn't anywhere close to yeah. being done. They're not getting complacent. They're not getting comfortable. And I think talk has played a big role in that because the Philadelphia game before he bag them because he didn't like how they played that second game in Edmonton, even though they sort of won a gutsy game. I think there was a sense of, okay, that's not sustainable. And of course they had the stinker in Philly. And then right away, talk is on that he had that quote about who are we to think we're anybody well that's the message that he's obviously consistently relaying to the team itself and drilling in and clearly the guys are getting that because when you see Brock Besser step up and speaking to the media after the game it's a case where based off his uh, body language demeanor tone of voice you wouldn't know whether the Canucks won 6-2 or lost 6-2 and to me that's a sign of maturity that's a sign of professionalism And that helps give me at least some level of confidence that look, when the bounces don't go their way, when things start to go against them, when adversity strikes, when you, you know, run into a three game losing streak that hopefully they can maintain that sort of quiet confidence that, that they have. Um, And they they just seem quietly confident, but humble. Absolutely. Quietly
2: confident, but humble. That's a really good mantra. Don't get too
0: high. Don't get too low. And just back to the regression talk of PDO, You know, everyone expects them to come down and they probably will. But what I think is different about this group is that they actually have the top end talent. Thatcher Demko and goal, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller. You know, those guys are going to continue to produce. We've got a pretty good sample size the last couple of seasons. It's not like it's like an Andre Kuzmenko shooting percentage, which has gone down this year. So and the type of goals they're scoring, right? Like those high danger cross ice passes. We saw that with the Besser goal last night. Like those are the types of goals that are going to continue going forward here and not just some, you know, lucky wrister that the goalie, you know, flubbed on. Right. I think so, that's a great point.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Grady. Thank you. Quads. I want to hear more great points from the listeners because it's time for anyone else. Presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat it's also our listeners chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more with the code nation 25, all capital letters nation 25 for 25% off up to $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter code nation 25 offer valid in Canada, subject change terms apply lots already. People are pointing out, that I'm on my phone in the uh, while you're talking. I've noticed that. I'm, I'm like looking, looking, at looking at the over. the I'm
3: looking at the chat. I, I was like, I mentioned. Is this my guy, editing Canucks Army? No, i <laughs> on the fly. Dude, I swear. I brought up the point about well, Myers is technically on the third pair, and Friedman has taken second second pair of rushes. Uh, but like Myers played 21 minutes, and then. And, and then you you follow that up by saying, oh, Mark Friedman's been holding down a top four role. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> he's not holding down a top four role. Technically, he's pl- averaging 13
2: minutes a night. Yeah, but he's still playing with Ian Cole you most of his just listen minutes. to me. Well, I know, it's okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. There's too much going on. We got Grady throwing us no intros. I just got to start talking out of nowhere. It's a, It's been you, a busy You show. asked Grady not to put <laughs> an intro quads. <laughs> no, I didn't. Chris Faber uh, in the chat. So I want to give him a shout out because he pointed out 200-plus viewers right now, which I think is the most. And, Chris, if you're still here, Greg, may I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever crossed 200 live viewers at one time. Like, obviously, we have a lot more than that when people download the podcast and watch the replays. But Chris Faber pointed out, 200-plus viewers. And I think that's the first time that's ever happened. So, congrats to you, Harmon. Already making an
3: impact. I think it's the team doing well. Yeah. Everybody's here This team us. we got a get structure. It? Well, I mean, everybody loves you know, hearing talk about the Canucks romping and breaking the Oilers, so. Absolutely, except for Aaron, who's also the chat.
2: <laughs> I'm just reading, I'm Sorry, trying to read Aaron. the anyone You got these open too? You should have
0: these open. Anyone else? Uh, Tony Nam asks, who are some low acquisition cost
3: demon they should target for the playoff run? Look at that. You- oh, geez. I, I mean, I haven't had a chance to really look and, and research a lot into this. Obviously, a lot of people have brought up you know Columbus's defenseman. I don't know if I love that idea, right? Yeah, and Andrew, Andrew No, I, I don't like that contract, so I'm not on board with that. I mean, if you can find a way to carve out the cap space to even bring in a guy like like first of all, I think you're gonna have to wait to see how this team sort of settles out over the next 25 to 30 games, in my opinion, because then you have a sense of like, okay, just how good is this team? Is this team? Um, not in the sense of oh, are they gonna make the playoffs or not, but it, in the sense of like, you know, could they be a dark horse contender even if you add a defense piece? And, and so it, you first almost have to identify, are you going for, you know, a bigger fish or more low cost? I think the question referenced low cost. If that's the case, then if you can carve out some cap space and bring uh, Ethan bear back, I, you know, I, I definitely like that idea. It gives you more options. He had proven chemistry with, Um, you know, Hughes, which gives you a second option if you ever need to split up Hughes and Ronick for for whatever reason.
2: And that was something that Talkett said without actually saying earlier. I think it was even a week or two ago, he was talking about the Ronick Hughes pairing, and he said, He's like, Yeah, we're still waiting for some of our guys to get back. And then you looked at who's injured, and it's just Guillaume Brisebois. So it's like, Okay, is he talking about Ethan Bear? That was this is a conversation we had a week or two ago. Um, but it seems like he's talking about Ethan Bear and that the plan seems to be to bring Ethan bear back. And at that point, yeah, I think you do see them, uh, and Hughes split up. I think that's what we'll end up seeing
3: if they can hopefully, you know, make the cap gymnastics work, of course. Yeah.
2: I hear Edmonton needs some, uh, needs some pieces. Casey DeSmith for dry settle on a first. Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, lots of stuff in the chat here. Um, record on this upcoming three game road trip. What are the Canucks finish with after these three games? They've Jeez. got Ottawa on Thursday, and then they have Toronto on Saturday. So that's an automatic win. Canucks always beat Toronto. I think
3: you're better suited to making these predictions. I I'm not I feel like I don't have a gut feeling. I don't get those gut feelings, but oh, they're gonna win tonight, or oh, they're gonna lose tonight. Uh, but you 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 nailed the Oilers prediction and you were super confident about it. I run it, on so. gut feeling. So give me your vibes. What's your what's your gut saying about this road trip?
2: I say the Canucks win two of three. I don't know which ones they win except for Toronto, which seems like the toughest, but I, I, they will win. Well, Toronto. Toronto's
3: been struggling too, man.
2: That's the other thing. Yeah. Like, but they always just beat Toronto. I Yeah. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. That, Hockey game, in will Canada.
0: Be, that game will be interesting because they play, you know, up-tempo offense. I'm not sure the Canucks want to get into a track meet with the Leafs because that kind of plays into their favor. However, if they can, you know, stifle things defensively, that might play into their hand. Uh, You know, we saw the game last night against Tampa Bay. Like that was high event back and forth hockey. So um, maybe Montreal might be, they've been playing some decent hockey to start the season. You know, not a lot of expectations. Senators are a bit of a mess on and off the ice right now. So that might be where you get the dub there, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting.
2: I kind of uh, disagree with this here. Oh, we got not you, Grady. Sorry. I'm going to the next thing on anyone else. Uh, BLK, why are people still afraid to see that Boudreaux was a crap defensive coach? What happened to Myers? A system and a good coach. Boudreaux is not your grandfather. Myers was good last year under Boudreaux. Well, he was, no. Yeah, he was. Tyler Myers wasn't that good last year. Are no, you kidding okay, me? Okay, not that good. He was better the year two before. Years ago. He was good yeah. two years ago. Also under Boudreaux for much of that. And then right. he, was the yeah. he was fine last you know year. Like, he like, was fine last year. No, no, no. He was garbage at the start of this year. That's the point that we're making.
0: The system didn't get implemented at game six when Myers turned things around. I don't think that's how much of that was because of OEL and the minutes kind of the shutdown role they were asked to play. What do you mean that he was fine? Well, that he wasn't playing as good as, you know, people but probably I'm saying, hoped. I'm saying he was fine last year. He, he wasn't. wasn't as good no. the, as
2: no. he was the year no. before. I'm not fine.
3: Right. No, he was fine. He, wasn't last year.
2: he was. He was absolutely Th- that fine. That pair was one of
3: the worst top four pairs in the NHL.
2: And again, that's where a big part of that comes from. The OEL OEL's style.
3: Has been great in Florida. He's playing top pair RD. Sure, so
2: that okay. So that comes down to a system. That does come down to a system. But I think the start of this year, you can't attribute that to anything related to Bruce Boudreaux. Like the system's been here this year, and Myers was bad at the start of the year. I don't. I don't know if it's as much coaching
3: as people are trying to make it seem. Well, it's it's what I said. I think it's the environment, like whether you want to attribute to the coach, system structure or whatever, like the team around him has been better. And at the end of the day, when you're an individual, if, the f- if your four other teammates are playing a lot better around you, like if you're, let's say, a defenseman and you're under pressure on the breakout and you have no choice but to sort of rim it around the wall, if your winger is then going to be able to get that puck out, where, where they're able to do that this year, whereas last year that winger is losing that battle and you're getting hemmed in, like that makes a world of a difference even though that individual player's action in that situation, the defenseman Myers rimming the puck around the wall, that might be the same, but the outcome can be completely different based off what mm-hmm. his teammate is doing. And those are the types of battles the Canucks are winning. So whether you want to attribute that to coaching, system structure, um, upgraded personnel, a combination, accountability, you're getting more of that lately and i think that's been really helpful and and honestly like look the the team i think ultimately Boudreaux, it was clear by last season that he was a poor fit for this group yeah like he's absolutely. a phenomenal coach but i feel like he's best for a veteran team of sort of self starters yep. that doesn't need accountability because is a very laid back coach yep. and he's not going into the dre- into the dressing room and and harping on guys a ton and that's where talk has been able to to, to sort of come in and, and be hard on guys, and he's a better sort of fit for what the Canucks have um, sort of needed in in terms of finding that defensive structure and, and stability. So, and we haven't seen those big
0: disastrous mistakes that we saw yeah. early on in the season, right? That's what he's like the best the version of Tyler Myers is a quiet version of exactly. Tyler Myers when you don't notice him. A little, you know, less is more. And I just
2: thought I thought for the most part that's what he was last year. No. I don't know. I disagree hard. People in the chat are agreeing with me. Uh, but Sam Ross <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Sam Ross made a good point here. He said, I don't want fine at six million. And that's what it comes down yep, to. Yeah. Like, Fair enough. It was the same kind of conversation with OEL. Yeah, he's great in Florida now, but you know, you're you're a, you're a lot contract. more a lot more okay with OEL at what is he at two point five on this contract? Two point five, I think is Two point two five, yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, you're okay with oel being fine at that level okay anything else uh in anyone else that you want to pull up,
3: i i don't have the youtube uh pulled up but but i will say canucks were outscored by 22 goals at 5 on 5 with myers on the ice last year okay now what was their underlying numbers were awful what was it
2: with hughes in 2021
3: what do you mean well there were really there were really myers was really good in 2021 to 22 and that was with oel
2: yeah i just asked you with hughes Pull up those numbers. They that's such a
3: small sample. They I'm barely go away, but, No, no, no,
2: not even Myers. I'm just. I, I recall,
0: they weren't weren't very good together either. They
2: also. Yeah, you're right. I. Okay. But anyways, I'm not gonna keep trying to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's
0: move on from it's Myers much. here. Uh, we had another question uh, asking about Chris Tanev coming back. We know Calgary is. Well, they're not doing so hot, and they're probably going to be start selling off some pieces. Uh. Harm, what do you think of bringing back the Tan Man at the right price, of course?
3: Yeah, again, I was sort of thinking about that a couple of days ago, and cost, obviously, is is something that I think about a lot, especially if you have to figure out, is this guy a rental? Are, are you able to resign sign Tanev? What does that contract sort of look like? And again, it, it just goes back to my point that I think Tanev's a piece that you... He appeals to me a lot more if if you can pull that trade off knowing you're also able to extend him at a reasonable short-term number, because at that point, if you're giving up, you know, whatever price it is, it's a lot more appealing to me as opposed to if it's a Toffoli like situation where you pay a significant price and you don't know if you can keep him or not, uh, the Canucks don't have a ton of expendable sort of draft picks that they can just throw around for guys that, are only going to be here for the season and you also have to sort of weigh it with okay there are other factors to keep in mind here right Elias Petterson his contract situation too right like how, how important is success this year in terms of being able to re-sign him and how does that factor into the calculus so it's it's a complex nuanced argument i don't think just think there's a simple yes or no um answer to that answer yeah. to that and i think again i i'm just curious to see like as this team sort of continues rolling around and as you get the quote unquote regression, you'll even get a sense of, okay, when they're not getting all these bounces, just how good are they? Are they better? Are they a lot better than we thought, or are they only um, a step up than what we thought before the season? And I I think all of that sort of plays into what you sort of decide to do in terms of upgrading that right side. It's all about what you're going to give up,
0: what type of role he's going to play in. And you know, Calgary's going to want to get the best return possible. Do you really want to get into a bidding war for a guy like Chris Tanev, who's got, you know, injured past 34 years old, and it's a division rival, right? So Calgary's going to want to extract the most value out. I just don't think he, at this particular stage, now maybe as a UFA on a cheaper contract, sure, he would be an upgrade over a guy like Mark Friedman, but you know, Calgary's going to they're just Craig Conroy is a new GM. He doesn't want to get, uh, you know, taken to the cleaners. He's going to want to extract the most value possible. out. I like Tanov as a player. I'm just not sure the context is the right fit at this particular moment, but it's all about what you give up.
2: I will also say something you have to consider whenever you're adding to a team. It's been years we've seen this, right? When you add, you want to make sure that you're not going to mess with your locker room chemistry. Mess with the chemistry of your team. How do you do that best? Familiarity. So there's one argument that's for trading of But again, it does come down to acquisition cost and all those factors that you guys just mentioned. We'll close it out on this. Uh, this question from Kelly Parks in the YouTube live chat, which apparently I'm the only one that has it open. Uh, Teddy B comes in. Who comes out? Teddy Bluger. Right he skated. Now,
3: he skated. Right. We, we said that. Jeff Patterson had that. I mean, okay, I'm just going to pull up the bottom six here. Can't do Lafferty, right? Yeah, uh, can't. Joshua, especially with the size, how well he's played the last couple of games. I don't think you can pull him. Uh, Suter's been scoring, can't pull him. I like Hoglander's game, can't pull him. So it almost comes down to, I think, uh, one of Garland or, be- or Bovillier, but Garland looked really great the other night. I thought it was one of his best performances. Right now, I think, um, even though he scored a pair against San Jose and has picked up points recently, you know it might be Anthony Bovillier for me.
2: I wonder because we've heard talk it speak positively about Beauvillier recently.
3: Like yeah, I, that's the thing. Like there's
2: building guy. Him up. Up. Yeah, but you have to you have to get Blueger in. Like the op, there's no there's no world where Bluger gets healthy and they healthy scratch him. There's no world where that happens. This guy needs to get into games. I, yeah, I think it's between Bovillier Joshua. I almost
3: wonder if a you have Connor to, Garland. Tree? I was
2: just about to say that before I
0: kind of eased off of it. I don't know, like. Yeah, I don't know. Someone was asking in the chat why Bluger wasn't placed on LTIR. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was originally supposed to be day-to-day, yeah, okay. and that yeah. kind of translated to week-to-week. We were told it was a bruise. Yeah, we so was a Bruce. That's probably why. And I'm sure in hindsight they would have loved it to get the extra cap space. but yeah.
3: and, and I almost think that when you're timing Bluger's return, you can almost afford to then slot him back in when like a- after a game where Somebody clearly in that bottom six had an off night. Yeah. Right. Like when the team's rolling like this, not to say that you're healthy scratching Blueger, but it means that you can be um you have extra time to make sure he's 110% and you don't have to rush yeah. him back and you're not worried about, oh man, the PK's really been struggling. We have to rush him back in. Like you can really afford to take take your time, and especially when a guy's missed you know that that much and hasn't had a chance to play in the regular season yet. There's going to be a an adjustment to pace, speed of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, players are really ramping up and getting closer to midseason form, so it may not be the worst thing for for Bluger to you know continue practicing and yeah. you almost kind of time is return with. When you see somebody in the bottom six start to struggle because honestly, the bottom six has been great recently. It's tough to sort of uh, you know, point to somebody and say that guy's been underperforming. Clearly, let's let's take him out. I just hope it's
0: not Hoglander. And I think he's kind of elevated himself out of that discussion. But, you know, if he goes cold again, he might be the guy. I hope not. And maybe they go back to Joshua because we know, you know, his. Uh, relationship with talk it but uh you know this is this is a good problem to have like how many years have we talked about the last few years about the bottom six being such a drag and being uh constantly outshot outchanced uh not having a lot of grit lack of forechecking now we actually finally have a, a pretty good identity of what you know you want to see out of a hopeful playoff team there
2: yeah absolutely we've talked about this for years now where it's like okay this is a problem that wasn't around in vancouver and problem with their quotes there okay uh anything else we got to get to betway do you have anything else that you want to say before we close this up? you gotta get the chat open (laughs) okay uh before we get to betway i want to bring it up the prospect roundup brought to you by our friends at four winds brewing you can see in front of our desks our computer there uh The Four Winds Light Lager is proudly displayed there. Family owned and operated in Delta. It's the home of the Four Winds Light Light Lager. Crisp and clean, easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone. Perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. The Prospect Roundup, you go check it out at CanucksArmy.com, the Blackfish Report. Uh Atu Ratu has had an elevated role in Abbotsford. Good to see Jetwoo continuing to score lots of different stuff in the Blackfish Prospect Report. Over at Canucksarmy.com, uh, our boy Dave Hall, who I think is gonna make his first appearance on the show. Um at some point here. The new Faber, as I yeah. called him
0: the other day on SMP. Yeah, and Archdeep Bain's doing great work. Yeah. Shout out Dave Hall.
2: Archdeep Baines leading the league in points, the AHL in points. We brought that up as well yesterday. Uh, good stuff all over the prospects uh, and all over the farm right now, so be sure to go check it out uh, at CanucksArmy.com. Okay, Betway. We got another futures bet here. It's time for our Betway Bet of the Day, brought to you by Betway. Here is our bet bet and it's another one like yesterday's elise Pedersen to win the heart trophy at plus 1400 odds $10 Juice. bet gets you $150 in return 19 plus to play if you choose to play please play responsibly go check it out over at betway okay we'll close it out there for my co-host Harmon dial and our technical producer grady sass And our thanks to Jeff Patterson for joining us on today's show. My name is
1: Dave Vigrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation.